and welcome to The Great Indoors. The podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. And I'm Sophie Robinson. And thank you very much to Top Styles for sponsoring this series. So, uh, Kate, what are your views on uh, faking it? I'm going to assume we're talking about tiles here. But I'll tell you what, I think it can be a good idea. Fake, or should I say faux, marble, for example, is much more hard-wearing than the real stuff. Yes, especially for kitchens where you might be prepping food and all those horrible stains like spices, lemon juice in your case, copious amounts of red wine. (laughs) I'll just let that one go. Um, And I also noticed at the Maison Trade Show in Paris the other week that there was much less white and grey marble and lots of chocolate and green, much richer colours. Well, whether you're a faux or a real fan, you can find lots of choice at Topps Tiles this year, including a real emerald green marble, which I've got my eye on, or there's a faux chocolate version for you, Kate. It might work for me. Or you can just keep it classic with white or grey. If you must. So, this is the first episode since we got back from our interiors retreat in Marrakesh, and we'll try not to be too smug about it, but, oh, it was good. And we've got so much to share with you, including, coming up later in the show, an interview with the general manager and interior designer of El Fen, where we held the retreat, Willem Smith. I absolutely adored that trip to Marrakesh. It gave me such a pick-me-up. The colour, the design, the Food. I can't wait to deep dive into that and share with you guys what we got out of it. But we've also got another couple of topics we're going to cover in this episode. We're going to be talking about the latest trend for millennial granny chic. Stay tuned if you want to even know Grand what that millennial is. chic, is it? Grand millennial, yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We'll have worked out a title for it by the time we get round to talking about it. And we're going to come back round to this hot topic of faux or real finishes in the home. Which one should you go for? So to come back to Granny Chic, actually, this was sparked by a dinner we went to in Marrakesh at L'Hotel Marrakesh, which is owned by Jasper Conran. And interestingly, when you actually think about who his father is and all that minimal style from Habitat that started. But Terence Conran, yeah. I mean, real visionary, wasn't he, with that very sort of slightly pared back look. But L'Hotel, we went into the main dining room and, I mean, Sophie went The main private dining room. God, it was magnificent, wasn't it? I mean, the colours were quite pared back, lots of white linen, but all the chairs, little linen chairs with frilly skirts on, and you went mad for that. I absolutely adored it. That's proper granny chic, that is. Yeah, I mean, I would have had it in, like, a polka dot or a chintz, obviously, and thrown some colour and pattern on top. This was quite tastefully done in just sort of, like, a white, pure, brilliant white cotton, because Jasper Conran's... I think his, you know, obviously he's a very well-accomplished fashion designer who's turned his design eye to interiors, but it tends to be quite tailored, quite pared back. It's just really chic, isn't it? I mean, the whole hotel is just that kind of English country house meets Marrakesh. It's just done so beautifully. But yes, it was the little tubby armchairs around the dining table with their little frilly skirts. I loved them. But that, that look has been coming back for a while, hasn't it? And it's such... The polar opposite of that sort of Scandinavian mid-century minimalist look. 
And, you know, we've got all these floral wallpapers, which the colours might be more modern, but in many ways, it's not that different from what you might have seen in your granny's house. Well, I know, but let's talk about the type of grannies, because we're not sort of talking about tea cosies and crochet blankets. This is quite a kind of like Aristo granny. Posh granny. It's posh granny. It is. It's a bit Chelsea. It's a bit Colfax and Fowler. It's about sort of Cotswold's country house. And this is what's really fascinating. I'm seeing, you know, like the millennial kind of like 30-somethings really embracing this look. I'm thinking of people like Pandora Sykes and Laura Jackson and Matilda Goad. You know, they're always in the style magazines as flagged up as tastemakers. But you look at their homes and it's all like, yeah, frilly cushions. And fringing, we're yeah. beginning to see a lot more. That's been a slow burner, but it's definitely coming back. But there's fringing and fringing, isn't there? There's that like really fr- sexy 70s fringing that I think we've seen quite a lot of. But this is cutesy. This is granny kind of fringing. And it is, it's going back to all those old interior decorator kind of motifs. You know, the passementry, the kind of like cushions and button back and embellishments. And it's quite maximalist and it's cosy. But it's kind of made cool again. I'm finding it all quite fascinating. And by the way, I'm signing up to this look wholeheartedly. I absolutely love it. It really appeals to my aesthetic of adding lots of pattern, adding lots of colour and making a house feel really cosy. It's interesting, isn't it, when these trends come round? And, you know, I remember writing a while ago about anaglypta wallpaper and everybody on the blog going off the deep end because they remembered (laughs) it from their granny's houses and their student digs and they didn't like it. And I just wonder if it comes round again because a new generation of decorators, if you like, are discovering it for the first time. So... The people who are discovering this kind of fringing and granny chic may not remember it from their grannies because their grannies would be younger and would have had a different style. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So I might look back at that kind of fringing and I can remember it in my granny's house and I'm thinking, hmm, that's not for me. But if you're younger than me and your granny didn't have that, you feel like, whoa, this is new. new. It's fresh and new. I'm going for it. But because I never saw it in its original state, I am obviously bringing a more modern take to it in the colours or the textures or the materials. So no uh, little baggy knicker fringing round armchairs or, oh, remember those, um, not Venetian, what they called the baggy blinds? Knickerbocker blinds. (laughs) Knickerbocker blinds, They're not coming back in my house. But, I, I mean, I am, you know, by the time this goes out, I will be 53. So I remember quite clearly all that sort of look. And I, you know, I think that's why I'm perhaps more hesitant to go back to it. See, I remember it too. My mum did do a bit of it in the 1980s. I mean, I remember there being some Austrian blinds in our house, in peach, no less. Of course. Probably a glazed chintz as well, if I'm (laughs) honest. But I don't know, I quite like the flamboyance, the humour. It is a bit cheeky, isn't it? Because it is a bit old-fashioned. It kind of like, as well, links with the fashion as well, don't you think? Like all these sort of granny bobbly cardigans that we're seeing coming in. Cardigans are suddenly huge, aren't they? Yeah, Everybody's got a a bobbly cardigan. And a bit of bat wing going on. So it's all that nostalgia. It does all go in cycles, of course, and now it's its time. But um, like, you know, like um, lampshades, ruched lampshades. Yes, with with loads of fringing on. Yeah, Anna Heyman Designs, who makes, actually, she's a really good example because she makes those lampshades Um, which are very heavily patterned with fringing on, but she might do them in, you know, black and ivory or a strong thing, isn't it? Well, a strong teal and pink. And I mean, it's it's not your granny. That's like granny goth. 
Oh, Granny Goth. Granny Goth. That's a whole new subdivision of Granny Chic. <laughs> like it. Now, now you're talking. You say, I am so much more into Granny Goth <laughs> than Granny Chic. <laughs> yeah, but that's when you're adding like a little bit of a rock and roll element, isn't it? So yes, using gold and black. And then, but then putting it with amazing bit of abstract art or something. I was going to say, how bit. how are you for people who are listening to this and thinking, oh, I'm really not sure about frilly skirts on my chairs because I'm not Sophie. Um, how are you going to do that and make it look modern and relevant and not just like you've taken everything from your granny's house? Or is that the point? I think that's the point. I'm always one for saying full commitment this on all true. of these things. I don't think you can go and put a frilly cushion in your mid-century modern apartment and think it's going to look cool. I think it looks... <laughs> Sharp intake of breath. Have you, got a frilly? Have you got a frilly? Oh, really, do you? Well, no, because I think precisely mid-century modern can take a bit of all that frilly stuff. Do you? Better chintz. I think it can take it because it's quite plain and pared back and it's not going to overwhelm. You obviously want the overwhelm. Yeah, um, I think, yeah, it is. It's the patterned wallpaper, it's valances, it's helmets it's loads of cushions it's chintz with ticking stripe i don't think granny had ticking stripe i think granny would have been appalled at the idea you were putting your mattress covers on your sofa (laughs) i think that's how you make it more modern and take it down is with ticking stripe put some geometrics with it yeah which granny wouldn't have done so there you go that's how you modern up your granny chic but it is it's shopping in british heart foundation charity shops bringing back all that stuff and kind of rearranging it in a more modern setting it's a blend isn't it of yes doing the charity shop stuff but i think again to create to elevate it like i said this is posh granny you're then also mixing it with you know very expensive fabrics like pierre frey colfax and fowler those sorts of posh chelsea proper country house chintz So maybe it won't, maybe this will just be a micro-trend, granny chic. You're not buying into it, are you, clearly? Mm. No, it's not one for you. (laughs) I've actually got a proper posh granny. I don't need to chic. (laughs) I had one, I should say. (laughs) So, Kate, I wanted to have a conversation with you about faux versus real finishes, because traditionally, I would say within the interior design fraternity everyone's always been jolly snooty about faking it it's all about the honesty of the materials darling of course but i'm seeing more and more and more good quality faux materials out there and i've even bought into myself so i've got confession to share so i've recently uh redecorated my little holiday let in brighton as you know you've been there Mm -hmm. with the stairs Um, with with the tiny stairs which you love So in the wet room, we had a slate floor that needed replacing just over the years it had got damaged. And actually, I was up for replacing it with something that was a little low maintenance. I mean, real stone, like slate, does need a bit of TLC. Mm. So I faked it. And I went for a faux wood porcelain tile. So it's a porcelain tile. So fine for a wet room. It's completely waterproof and it's also anti-slip, which is really important when you're tiling a floor in a wet room. But it looks like a rustic wood. It's called the Dar Tray by Tops Tiles. And I have to confess, it's rather brilliant. So it genuinely looks like a sort of distressed, reclaimed wooden floor. It's but it's clever. interesting, isn't it? Because firstly, I've got real marble tiles in my shower on uh, the walls on the walls and on the floor because it's a sort of wet room but oh right get okay. onto that in a minute but we had the so it's a flat floor 
And you can also get real marble tiles from tops, but because they're natural stone, so they have a tendency to be a bit porous, so you have to seal them. Yes, you have to. Exactly. So this that's is something I mean, to bear TLC, in mind. And actually, it? if you have the faux ones, then they're just porcelain, they don't need sealing. But mm. our issue came, so we did our bathroom, I don't know, about not quite 10 years ago, because we've redone the shower since. And because it's an ensuite, mm. we've got painted wood and white floorboards in the bedroom, which leads through into the bathroom. And I didn't want to tile the whole floor of the bathroom. In marble. In marble, because I thought it would be cold and we weren't necessarily thinking about underfloor heating. So we didn't, we weren't, you know, ripping the so whole thing up. So real wood is obviously warmer underfoot, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so we've got real wood. And then we came up against this issue of going into marble in the shower area. So there has to be quite a deep fall when it's a wet room, so the water drains away. But I discovered... After we'd done this, these faux wood porcelain tiles. Would you have found it? Well, I saw some. I mean, I think the ones you're talking about, the Dartre one, comes in a sort of white effect. Mm. So actually, I probably could have done the whole bathroom and it would have seamlessly gone from the bedroom to the bathroom in the same colour. Oh, you see, okay. No, do you not think? I'm not sure because then you're going from real painted wood to fake painted wood. To you real think you'd marble. It too much. I'm not sure. No, you but can I would do have that. done the shower, the whole thing. I wouldn't oh, have had you. the marble. Oh, I would have I'm had one you. room as white painted floorboards and the bathroom next door with faux painted floorboards. With faux painted floorboards made out of tiles, and it would have all been waterproof. Because the other issue I've got with the real floorboards and the marble shower thing is bath mats. You know, I've oh, always really? got to have a bath mat I'm because if, if the water like splashes out of the shower then I'm a bit nervous about it, you know, going down between the floorboards. Yes, um, right. So, oh, no, I don't mind a bath mat, but really I need an L-shaped one and they don't exist. But yet your sewing machine out. Come on, that's not a hard thing to get over, is it? Stitch a couple of bath mats together. Mm. Anyway, we're, we're diverse. Look, yes. here I am helping you with your bathroom. <laughs> I think you've got to be wary about putting real next to fake, actually. Yes, I think it's that, interesting. Yeah, I think you do have to be careful if you've got a real wood floor and then you go into a faux. I think it can be great. in. I think using faux tiles or faux wood effect tiles, I mean, the effect is now so brilliant. As mm. you say, in your shower, you sort of can't tell until you touch it or you realise that obviously you haven't got floorboards in your shower. But I've seen it in kitchens as well i mean it's great because you can have underfloor heating under it and yes, it conducts which is really, that really well so it's yeah. brilliant for a kitchen and actually if you live in a period property or a victorian house where you might well have stripped all the floorboards back in the hall and the sitting room and everything then you can continue the look in the kitchen you know maybe you have a different color or you have it rather than floorboards you have it laid in a parquet or a herringbone but it's warm it's practical it's easy to clean it's not drafty and because of the new techniques where they now they photograph the pattern onto it don't they so mm. So it looks real. It's only actually when you touch it. Well, that's the issue. Okay, so this is the counter argument, isn't it, to faking it. And again, I suppose this is my conflict with a tile, a cold porcelain tile that Mm. looks like wood, when wood feels so lovely and soft and warm to the touch. So in some respects, I think you can get away with it on a floor because you're not really touching it. But somehow if I was in a shower cubicle, that's maybe I might spend out on the real thing there because it's a lot more closer to you and you touch You're it more and likely feel to it. touch it yeah so other than tiles you got wallpaper oh there's a load of fake wallpapers out there what are your thoughts on a, like a faux wood panelled wallpaper or a faux brick wallpaper just quietly looks up the stairs to her <laughs> uh, panelled door of oh, bookshelf yeah. oh 
like a mural type thing, like the photographic. Uh, uh, do you know, I, I haven't love, really got one. I, but love, I love your a faux bookcase, though. That's so cool. I mean, that's like a tromploy effect, really, isn't it? Yeah. It looks like a bookcase. And, and when we you get- did that at the top of the stairs because you go into my younger son's bedroom and his bedroom is always a, an indescribable mess. Um, <laughs> and I knew he was going to leave the door open. And that's almost the first thing you see when you open the front door would be, you know, colours that don't really fit with the rest of the house and a mess. And it's a small bedroom. So I wanted, actually, when we moved in, to make a door that was a proper bookshelf. I wanted a bit of a James Bond, so you would push open this bookshelf and there would oh, be a room revealed. Oh, with real In yes. a real bookcase with a hidden door. A yeah, very exactly. James Bond. Um, but the builder pointed out to me when we moved in here that he was only six and it would be too heavy. He wouldn't be able to open oh, the actual cute. door. <laughs> he'd, be, he'd be trapped in his bedroom. And then I found this wallpaper, which is by Meinhardt Design, called Bookshelves. And so we... We didn't just wallpaper the door. We took all the framing off the door um, so that the door was completely flat against the wall yeah, next so no to it. no architrave. No architrave. And so then we added, door. Yeah, we added a skirting board to oh, the door clever. as well. So, And then we papered the whole wall. Mm. Um, so it does look... Like, like a, doorway. I mean, it looks like a fake wall of books, but it looks like a sort of decorative feature, and you don't necessarily see the door straight away. Another thing is is containing it. In a, but I, I know a I'm a big area. fan of those wallpapers. They do lots of them that look like Chesterfield sofas they also and look do like velvet, one, like a tin tile. And you've got the real thing. Haven't I've got you, real tin tiles kitchen, there. Real yes. tin tiles. Well, what are your thoughts then on a faux wallpaper tin tile? Well, I don't mind it. I get asked almost every week, or whenever I post a picture of the kitchen, oh, are those real tiles or are they wallpaper? I mean, I'm fine with wallpaper. I'd be very happy with. A mural of trees in one room you know that wouldn't yeah. bother me they wouldn't have to look like real trees I quite like that as a decorative effect and those papers that look like velvet button back velvet chairs I mean I don't know where I'd put it but I, I, I like it they look great on ceilings and things it is yeah. coming back to that I mean I know we're harking back to the 1980s again but that like tromploy idea isn't yeah. it of tricking the eye if you want somewhere with a bit of flamboyancy a bit of quirks you know like your bookcase on top of the landing then I think they can look really cool what about plants Faux plants. It's a tricky one, the plants, isn't it? Because... Is it? (laughs) Is it? Have you got a confession? Well, no, I haven't got a fashion. I uh, I haven't got a fashion. I haven't got a confession. I have both. Yeah. And actually, interestingly, where you... Is this one? That's real. Get off, don't touch it, you'll kill it. Yes, I don't know what it is. What about the one behind it? It's real. Oh, okay. I've got two real ones in here. (laughs) Actually, I think with plants, it can be quite a good idea to mix the real and the faux because you can trick the eye. A lot of faux plants are very Mm. cleverly done now. And if you have a few real ones at the front, everybody assumes that they'll all be real. Now, we interviewed in the last episode obviously Oliver Heath who's a big expert on biophilia and I'm sure he would say you can't have faux plants you must have the real ones but I wonder part of the advantage of biophilia is that connection to nature and thinking about nature as well as being physically close to it if you have faux green plants in your bedroom does that, although it's not going to take the toxins out of the air, which mm. real plants do, does that make you feel more connected to nature because you're seeing something green in a plant shape? There's my question. I think he would say that you absolutely should have every effort to have the real thing. Be that all of this stuff, real stone, yeah. real wood, real plants, real nature. I might be uh, slipping into design crime territory here, Kate, but <laughs> what about faux art, faux paintings? You know, yeah, yeah Edward Hopper framed poster so what you're saying on the basis that you can't quite stretch to a real picasso (laughs) uh, can you fake it i remember 
years ago, actually, we had a poster from an exhibition, a Modigliani exhibition, you know, the women with the very beautiful long necks. Mm. And we took it to be framed. And because it was a poster from an exhibition, it had the date and wherever, I think we'd seen it in Paris and the date and so on. And the guy that was framing it said, oh, you want to cut that off and just frame it with a big heavy frame around it and it'll look like a painting. And we're going back 20 years and we were like, oh, that's really cool. So we did it. And then years later, you look at it and you think, actually, it's quite clearly not a real Modigliani. So maybe, it's, maybe it's a bit naff to just trying to be pretend it is. So then we went through a phase and we've got one in the kitchen of posters from exhibitions you've seen to and the point being that it's a poster and it's got the date right. and the place you saw it and oh, framing that. So I've got on the wall where we're sitting in my library, there's a picture that looks like a hopper. Is that why you yeah. said it's hopper? I so oh, I've actually got one. Oh, gosh. Pi- well, let me... Have I offended you? I do hope so. <laughs> I'm going to talk you through my picture on the wall, which, when you first look at it, looks like a hopper of a very famous painting called The Night Hawks. Is it, though? Have we established it is? You've got a proper fake hopper. There's a story, and I'm going to tell you the story. Is that Boris Johnson in the picture? That is the point! I just ruined your punchline. Yeah. I am going to try and tell the story <laughs> of then. my Edward Hopper, right. which is not a fake. So I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> can I speak? <laughs> yes. My mother-in-law says, can I finish? Yes. Can I finish? Right. So I have on the wall in my library, which you can see from where you are sitting, a picture which looks at first glance like a very famous painting called The Night Hawks by Edward Hopper. Right. All right. But if you look at it more closely, you will see that the bar is actually called Patisserie Valerie. And if you look very closely, you will see that Kim Jong-un is serving the drinks to Boris Johnson, Donald Trump, Theresa May. So it is a pastiche version of the Nighthawks. And it's by an artist called Cold War Steve, who I think is going to be the new Banksy. And he takes sort of photographs and he photoshops people in to situations in unexpected places so he might recreate a very famous painting with a load of politicians in it or he might take a beach scene from the 1950s in Margate and photoshop Simon Cowell into it or Piers Morgan or various people so they're kind of comedy tropes put into classic situations so I fun yeah so it's fun and Yes, as I say, at first glance, but what I like about that is almost the Trump Loy effect mm. because you might glance in and think, oh, she's got an Edward Hopper print on the wall because you probably wouldn't think it would be real. But then you look a bit more closely mm. and you see there's a bit more going on. Those of you who already follow us on Instagram will have had a full-on dose of Moroccan colour recently. And if you fancy some sun-soaked souk action... Come and find us anyway. I'm Mad About the House and she's Sophie Robinson Interiors. And while we're on the socials, I can't not mention our Facebook group, The Great Indoors Podcast. So do check it out. Right, so let's get stuck in. Well, I've barely unpacked. I mean, we literally have just come back from the most glorious four days in Morocco. Our first ever twin-hosted interior design retreat. I mean, it was a couple... Really, it really was a pinch me moment 
It was such me, a great place to that, be. But... Oh, it was such a great place to be. So we were based in the Elfen, which is an incredible hotel right in the heart of the city. It's right on the edge of the Medina. And obviously Marrakesh is just such a cultural melting pot of colour, design, pattern, furniture. I mean, it's just an interior design heaven. Isn't it's a bit, it? it can be a bit of a sensory overload, actually. Mm. Um, so we... Uh, for those who don't know, we went with 16 women, some of whom were professionals, some of whom were just passionate about interiors and some of whom were just doing up their own homes. And we did a series of workshops in the morning on various aspects of interior design. And then we went then on trips. Then we went on some trips. <laughs> uh, so we went through the Medina to one of the rog shops called Bazaar du Sud, which we'll tag on the show notes. And they on had an amazing showroom. And I think we were, you know, obviously there are a thousand thousand and one rug shops in Marrakesh. I mean, that is where the overwhelm arises. But this particular store is just, it's just a great place to get a real overview of all the different, I mean, who knew there were so many different types? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? We were looking at the Berber ones and obviously I think many people when they buy a rug, they want to buy a vintage one. But as was pointed out to us, the vintage rugs tend to be very long and narrow because that's the shape of a Berber home. So they don't fit very well in our modern houses where we want something squarer. And so modern ones are now, you know, if you go to the right place, beautifully made, you know, you have to sort of do well, a bit of due diligence. they're still made up in the mountains, aren't they? They're all made up in yeah. the Atlas Mountains, aren't they? They are. I mean, and they're just beautiful. And the shapes in Berber rugs, particularly. When I think of a Moroccan rug, I think of that sort of classic Beni Oran, which is kind of like really thick cream tufted with that sort of diamond usually in a sort of chocolate brown or a black so the diamond line running through it so there are different what we learned is that the chevron shape is the female fertility shape what that sort of that, the, the that, chevron like the, the diamond yeah. yes so you see that repeating design a lot um also the diamond and the triangle but you will also see like a straight line with lines going across it, bisecting like it. Like a little and ladder type Like thing. a ladder, and that's the masculine shape. So obviously you see both on some rugs. Um, but I didn't know that. I thought and every that was rug tells a story, apparently. Who knew? Well, and yes, because they're often woven by women when the kids have gone to bed or when they've got quiet time. So they will stick to those very classic black and cream or chocolate, as you say, colours. Um, but apparently you might notice a red dot sometimes. And that's, that's not a fault in the rug. That might be the woman who's weaving it, recording a marriage in the village or, or a birth or something. So, I mean, that would be great to actually spot yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, really cool. yeah, it was amazing. I didn't realise that it was just quite so much into it. And also the different areas of the Atlas Mountains where they're made, depending on how high up they are, how thick they are. So some rugs are really, really thick. And apparently in the villages, they don't just use them as carpets on the floor. They use them as blankets to keep warm Well, and, and they don't have mattresses, so they roll up in them and use so them So some are really thick and then some are really quite yeah. slim. So, yeah, it was a feast for the eyes, obviously. And we learned a little bit... Too. And then you can literally have them rolled up and shipped home, can't you? They're very quick at shipping. I think quite I think, a few they're of very our used to it. Were it was some shopping, shopping and shipping. And <laughs> <laughs> um, but one tip would be when you're discussing the price, and I think uh, a sort of guideline is expect to pay about half of what you're first quoted. Oh, really? But you've right? got to put the time in and and do the bargaining and, and do it you know, politely. And that's a whole different uh, technique, which I'm probably not very skilled at. But <laughs> one thing would well, you be you bought a couple of cushions. Did you do I a bought a couple of cushion covers. No, no, they were just, you know, that's what the price was. Um, 
But when you're trying to negotiate the final price, if you need it shipped, try and get the shipping price wound into your final price rather than agreeing a price on the rug and then suddenly and then, they try and make up for the fact you've bargained them down oh, by charging you a lot on shipping. I bought some hand-blown Moroccan glass wine glasses in that really beautiful green colour. It's quite a bright green, isn't it? It's quite an emerald green. Of course, I green. for the bright green. Yeah, yeah. It, it, and, but it was lovely. We got to see how they were made as well. We saw them being hand-blown. Before we left, we managed to snag an interview on the roof terrace of Elfen Hotel with Willem Smith, who is the interior designer who has created that incredible look. It's really iconic, isn't it? It's been in vogue, Architectural Digest. You know, his design for that hotel, which is really colour-drenched, he's created something quite iconic. And obviously, and I love it. The hotel is owned by Howell James and his business partner, Vanessa Branson, who apparently spent a lot of time in Morocco when, I don't know if you remember, when Richard Branson was trying to her fly brother. around the world, her brother, in his hot air balloon. Oh, yes, I remember and, that. And uh, he was, he was gonna, planning to take off from Morocco. And so she spent apparently quite a lot of time in Morocco waiting for him to oh, literally get this project off the ground. And just bought a Riyadh and while they, she's waiting. Yeah, she and Hal decided to buy a holiday home. <laughs> um, and there's, uh, I mean, it's been written about before, but there's a long story about how they started off and thought it would be a holiday home. And then they ended up buying the Riyadh next door, as you do, and uh, turned it into a hotel and it's expanding all the time. But they hired Willem to create the design for him. And I think it's it's quite different. It's not it's not cliched Moroccan, is it? No, not at all. It's a brilliant blend of everything Marrakesh. I mean, again, you know, talk about having, you know, the best sweetie shop at your fingertips. You know, Willem talks about how he's had everything made and designed to his specification for this hotel. Let's find out what he had to say. We're on your the rooftop of your hotel, yes. Sir, Elfen, and it's breakfast time. Everybody's having breakfast, and we've just watched the sun come up, and the birds are singing, and it's all really lovely. But part of that is because you've created this beautiful atmosphere for your guests at the hotel. Well, thank you very much. Well, you know, the thing is, it is very much also what you're saying. It's, I think, the basis, first of all, and foremost, the building in itself, like, you know, the old Riyadh. Riyadh, in principle, is a house with a courtyard in the middle, and there should be four. In each corner, there should be trees. We've got some enormous palm yeah. trees right here. How long yeah. would they have been here? Because they've been here longer than the hotel, I'm guessing. No, funny enough, this was carried in through your room, actually. <laughs> this palm tree. So it was half the size, and it's been here about 15 years. Uh, but it was carried in. Yeah, we have photos of that. Wow, yeah, this must that was have a mission. been quite an extraordinary build. But yeah. you're right in the heart yeah. of Marrakesh. Well, we? you know, the thing is, like, you know, and I, I can see that's that's a one-time experience, and I can still remember mine the first time coming here. I mean, arriving to the airport, and then, you know, it's only three and a half hours away or from any place in Europe, basically. And then you arrive and you see the hustle and the bustle and the craziness. And then you come here to the street and you've been walked into the dirt and you think like, you know, you see these donkeys and you see all of that. And then you enter through this anonymous door and then it sort of starts, but then straight away it's quiet. You know, you, you, yeah. you hear the and birds. And cool, isn't it? Yeah. And shady, yeah. yes. Yeah. When you came here, or when the hotel was first sort of converted from Riyadh into hotels, I mean, I think it was quite derelict in places, wasn't it? So when you came to do the design, were you given free reign? Did you, how do you not make it a bit Disney Moroccan? Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, you know, I, I met I met Howell and Vanessa, who bought the first property as their holiday home, and it sort of went crazy from there on a bit. But you know, at the time, the hotel was already open. It was a hard time for Morocco. They didn't quite know what to do with it, and we just met over a weekend, and then this, you know, became a topic. But, you know, we didn't know each other that well. And you could tell that, I mean, you know, a lot of their, like, you know, love and all of that had gone into it, but it was quite run down. So then you sort of need to build up that trust and relationship and, like, you know, to which extent can you go? And, you know, and it wasn't going that well. So everything that we've done since has come out of the cash flow of the hotel. So you've literally been buying up the block, is yeah. that right? Yeah. So sort of piece by piece buying up yeah. the neighbours as they're ready yeah. to sell to expand the yeah. hotel. Yeah, so we're now, so it started off with six bedrooms and we're now uh, finishing another extension and then in September, so we're going to close for July and August and then reopening in mid-September, I hope, with 42 bedrooms. Gosh. When we think of Elfen, and obviously there will be pictures on our website, but you can see online at Elfen Marrakesh. Um, the colours, that's what we think about for this hotel, yeah. these intense colours that wrap around the walls, the floors and the ceilings. Yeah. Now, it looks to me as if the colours are very Moroccan, but is that how Moroccans decorate their houses? No, no. Right. No, I think that is very much, I mean, you know, the reds, the, the red corridors, that's Vanessa, that's from day one. Yeah. Uh, that's been her choice. And, you know, we sort of build onwards on, on that. But, I mean, you know, the, the colours that you're mentioning, like, you know, the base of most of our rooms is like, you know, what we call Tadalak. So that's this stucco that we put on the wall, which deals with the dam coming out of the out of the grounds. Because it allows the walls to breathe. Yeah. I don't know how you you have it in in, in the UK. I mean, it's, it's quite expensive and yes. people want to have it in their bathrooms. As well, it's that sort of like same type of uh, polished plaster, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you add uh, you add pigments, and we're so explicit in using our colours. Yeah. But you know how we use that in our decoration. I think that is very much Elfen, and we were one of the first one doing this. Yes. yes. So there are tiled floors, there are leather floors, yeah. there are brick oh, yeah, floors. The leather floors. Yeah. Really incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's a leather panelled room as well here, a red leather yeah. panelled room. Isn't yeah. It? But I guess, I mean, you're really celebrating all the incredible artisans that you've got at your yes. fingertips here, haven't you? The yes. The fact that there are tanneries and there's leather and there's yes. handmade tiles and you can have metal workers make you bespoke yeah. lighting. And yeah. I mean, are you literally like an interior designer in a toy shop here that, or a sweetie <laughs> shop that you're like, yeah, I'm going to have this made? I mean, is it just such a wonderful place to be totally creative yes and to be brutally honest it's also affordable to make mistakes right oh that's really interesting yeah yeah so you know uh, you can try and if you really don't like it then I mean it's very easy to change and is that how you work are you quite organic in the way yes you, you I cannot draw I mean I, I'm not a trained architect or an interior designer I mean I wanted to study it because I mean you know I was already busy with interior design in my head when I was sort of like five years old. No, but yeah, this is what we do. And you know, you, you either like it or you don't, but I think it's always an evolving process. And I think that makes Alfem as a hotel unique. I mean, a lot of hotels, they think of a concept and often it's not the owners or the people that run it, or, but you know, it's been a paid job to think of your concept and then you run that concept for yeah. a number of years and then you might rethink it. 
well, we, for us it's not really a conscious process, it's, it's just organic. an ongoing process. Yeah. That's the other key that we wanted to pick on as well, is, is why you've got a real celebration of all the Moroccan, as you said, artisan techniques and colours and surfaces. There's all this sort of mid-century modern yeah. furniture yeah. and also quite modern art yeah. blended in. It's a yeah. brilliant blend, isn't yeah. it? Because yeah. the furniture is very simple and plain. Yeah and sort of takes down the colour of it. Yeah. yeah. Where does that idea come from then, to mix? That, um, well, I, I, always, I always like a mix. I think, like, you know, it, it sort of needs to reflect as it evolved. So I, I, I never really like an interior or anything that is just one style and one style yeah. only. And I also don't think it's very inviting. I think what people enjoy here is that, I mean, it is sort of like, you know, I think that they experience it at, at being at someone's house, but to a level that they might inspire, aspire themselves. Where I think, like, don't bring this all home because, I mean, you know, it might look slightly different when you're living in London. But I mean, you know, but I, I think that is sort of like what it does with people visiting over here. And there needs to be an imperfection, there needs to be a color clash, there needs to be, like, you know, sometimes stain on the rug. But I mean, you know, and it's, it, it needs to be a mix. I have heard a little bird tells me that your own house is quite white. <laughs> Do you need a rest? There's <laughs> a pause while Willem chokes on the yes, orange juice. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it is quite white, but it's also that mix. Yeah. You know, the thing is, like, when you're... I don't know how that is for you, like, you know, with your work and the things that you're doing, is a lot of my headspace has been occupied by the visuality of life. And it can lift it up or it can be hugely annoying. And I, doing this for quite a while, I find objects that are just objects, I find it quite pointless. So it either needs to have, like, an emotional thing, like, you know, travel or family or whatever, and I do like color, but I find it quite intense. And so, yes, I had this occasional thing that, I mean, you know, I might have a teal living room for 72 hours. And if, and, <laughs> 72 hours! And enjoy, and, and enjoy it for 40. It's a great 72 <laughs> hours. But no, but then then no, but seriously, I can be ecstatic. Then I think, oh, beautiful, beautiful. And then, and then after two days, I walk down in the morning and I think, like, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> And then when, so so this teal living room that lasted seventy two hours. What did you right, it was it was it was hague blue. Hey, oh right, so oh, that's a very strong. That's yeah. a brown ball, sort of yeah. like a navy yeah. deep. Yeah, black, almost a black. Yeah, yeah, that got painted back to. So white. 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 Yes, I always think like okay, that works, but that's also like you know, something that after six or yeah. twelve months that I mean you might want to change, and yeah. that's doable. Fantastic. What a wonderful design philosophy. I completely sign up to it. I think it's brilliant. And it was so such great fun having you here. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you for having us. Willem Smith there talking about how he designed El Fen. Thanks so much for making the time to talk to us. And to summarise what we've been talking about in this show, Granny Chic is back, but this time keep it posh. We're not talking tea cosies. When it comes to faux versus real... Don't put them next to each other or you will show them both up to their disadvantage. And finally, be more Willem when it comes to interior designs and try blending mid-century with your Moroccan to bring all the styles together. So for this episode's Design Crime, we're going to talk about stinky houses. Ooh. Smells. And apparently our producer Kate Taylor has something to share. Yeah, this is a bit embarrassing, right? I'm going to come and <laughs> <laughs> grab your mic, Sally. So I have small children and 
you know how when you've been in your house for a long time, you can't smell it. But when you first open the front door, <laughs> when you first open the front door, you smell the smell of the house. And it's this sort of composite smell. I don't know Nappies. what it is, but no, they're not that small. But it's, I, I don't know, it's it's kind of mud, it? fr- oh it's my, shoes, right? it's cooking, it's, I d- it's nothing specific. It's just every time I open our front door, I think, ugh. I do not like the smell of this house. And for me, smell is really important. Like I really, I'm really into perfume. I'm really into... You're sensitive. Sense. You've got I, a sensitive I, nose. I, I really love it. And, I, and I'm very aware of how smells are um, very associated with positive or negative memories. And, and for me, the idea of having a family home, which doesn't smell very nice (laughs) it's really distressing and so I'm constantly buying scented candles or you know I mean I do clean opening the windows opening the windows not so much in February but opening the windows buying scented candles doing various things and do you shake them back Ooh no <laughs> the freshness. I see a design crime right there. Do people still shake Do the shake and back, oh, put the perfume back. I can't remember the words put now. The freshness back. Oh, yeah. Do the shake and back and put the freshness back. <laughs> if your carpet smells, no. If your carpet smells fresh, your room does too. Da, 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 da. Wow. Remember what to do. Wow. <laughs> Nineteen eighties children will know exactly what I'm talking about. Everyone else will be like, "Well, I've got don't com- let that voice near a microphone anytime soon." I've got a confession to make about smelly houses because I appear to have developed a bit of a drains problem, <laughs> as you very politely, well, Kate very politely didn't notice, and Sophie walked in did. and went, "What's that she- smell?" <laughs> So we're calling the plumber back and we may, well, who knows, there's possibility that we can put an extra vent in a drain pipe and that will sort it out. It's just the fumes and it moves around the house. So for a while it was in the kitchen. Like a poltergeist. Yeah. Oh, maybe maybe it's not drains. (laughs) (laughs) So the question is, when is a scented candle a design crime? (laughs) Because I'm thinking it's quite a necessity. You've got to buy a good one. The problem I have with scented candles, and I dislike most of them, I think it, they mask it. They don't get rid of it. I mean, I think ultimately you have to find a way of getting rid of the smell. Well, this can be an issue. I mean, my mum was renting for a short while in between houses and she was unfortunate enough to move into a cottage that I think a tomcat had got into. Oh. And apparently there's no getting rid of that smell. No, ever. never. We had a house... The last house we bought um, had had an old incontinent tomcat and it had clearly decided to spray at the bottom of the banisters. Um, So we just started off with a ton of bleach and, you know, cleaning it. And then it had a laminate hall. So as time went by, we replaced the hall with slate tiles. We then stripped the paint on the banisters and we did that. We replaced the carpet on the stairs. I mean, we, we went down to the bare bones. I couldn't smell it by the end, but my husband swore he could always smell it. Don't forget, there will be more detail on everything we've talked about today, including useful links and pictures in the show notes and on our blogs. I'm madaboutthehouse.com and she's sophierobinson.co.uk. And if you have rated, reviewed and subscribed, thank you so much. A particular thanks this time to Dee Fleur, who very sweetly says that the shows are always packed full of helpful hints, clever ideas and great perspectives from two hilarious and knowledgeable design masterminds. I think I'll take that. Uh, She also says it's interesting to see where we agree and agree to disagree. And I think that 
really highlight something we come back to again and again. There is no right answer, just the right answer for you. That's very nice, isn't it? (laughs) Nicely put. And thanks very much to our producer, Kate Taylor, who's always so patient. And to our wonderful sponsors, Tops, Tiles, and most importantly, to you. And we'll see you in the great indoors. (gasps) Oh, is it rug delivery? Oh, this is Kate's Moroccan rug delivery. Oh, live for the podcast. Is it a man with a fez? It's a rug in a box. It's a rug in a box. Oh, come on. I want to see it. That's in a mat. Yeah. Has it come from Marrakesh? Yeah. <gasps> so exciting. Oh. Oh, it's looking very soapy. I don't think it is. I need it I to go with my pink chairs. I think I might have to take it home with me, Kate. This is, this is very, very Oh, I like nice. the string. Oh. Ooh. 